Amen. You know, from an early age, um, I have been intrigued with stories about adventures and uh, especially like pirates or people trying to find treasure. Um, I don't know if it's because when I was a kid, um, you know, I grew up with movies like Goonies, The Notebook, Indiana Jones. I'm joking. I I don't like Indiana Jones. Um, But joking aside, the, 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 the love that we have uh, for this type of adventures is, is very contagious for me. I, I love history. I love mystery. I love adventure. I, I love the idea of seeking out these treasures. I think if I could be a professional treasure hunter, that's what I would love to be. I, I, I think that that would just be absolutely phenomenal. My wife laughs at me because every show that comes on television that is about explorers trying to find treasures, I am naturally geared toward. I love the show Gold Rush. I love all of these different um, shows where people are trying to find these treasures. I, I'm completely enamored enamored by them. I'm, I'm extremely intrigued by them. And as I was thinking about that idea this week in this passage, for all of us, we all treasure something. We're all seeking something. We all are trying to find something. And what we treasure reveals a lot about who we really are. The term worship literally means uh, to place something in the highest of value, a person or possession. Uh, Simply put, we worship, all of life is worship. You're never not worshiping. Even as you're sitting here right now, you're either worshiping God or you're worshiping something else. Whether you're mowing the grass, doing the dishes, or raising your hands to a praise and worship song, you are constantly, you are always, I am always worshiping. And so what we value, what we worship, we love it, we'll sacrifice for it, and we grip it extremely tightly. In every kingdom throughout the history of humanity, there is currency. Whether it's like, hey man, for that pot I'll give you two beaver pelts. Or whether it's coins or, or whether it's um, you know certain types of rocks or precious jewels, there is always currency. And I want you to know, though, that even within the kingdom of God, there is currency. God has currency. And, and, and within our culture and environment, man, material wealth of whatever we deem to be valuable, even if it's a piece of green paper with a, a, a president or somebody famous's picture on the front of it, if that's what culture deems to be valuable, then that's what we believe to be valuable, again, especially here in America. Now, Jesus, when he is speaking here in the Sermon of the Mount, obviously he knows the culture that he is talking to, but also he knows our culture. Before America existed, God knows, Jesus knows that America will exist. He knows both the blessings of being from here, but he also knows the curses as well. As we've seen throughout the Sermon on the Mount, uh, we must fight this drift that all of us have to compartmentalize our lives. That this is a spiritual moment, this is my Jesus life, and that in this episode or in this experience or in this moment, though, this is my secular life. 
And we're seeing over and over and over through the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus is desiring of his citizens, those whom he has saved, that there is a consistency that we do not place into this bucket Jesus and in this bucket sin, Satan, and death, and we hop back and forth living between those two worlds. No, Jesus is after everything. He wants everything about you. He wants all of your time, all of your talent, and all of your treasure. Brothers and sisters, I would argue this today, that prosperity, wealth, money, and possessions, when worshipped, are deadly to us, our families, and to our church, and ultimately God's mission. Brothers and sisters, I would contend to you this, this morning that This is the greatest sin plaguing the American church out of all of them. My aim this morning will be to answer this question. How do we as followers of Jesus, as citizens of his kingdom, relate to the use of money and possessions? What do our treasures reveal about our hearts? Is money materialism? Is it our God Or is it God's gift? Is it our God or is it God's gift? Let's look for a moment here at what does it mean to have money or materialism as God? Look at this passage here in verse 19. It says, Do not lay up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. Uh, Mammon is the word there that we'll see throughout treasures and money. It it means not only monetary, you know, green paper or coin or gem, but it means a large variety of things. It could be your most prized possessions, whatever they are. So Jesus tells us here, do not lay up yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Do not lay up contextually, We've got to understand that this is before we have the FDIC, this is before we have U.S. Bank, Uh, this is before we have um, all of these things. This is in a time where literally as a church, if we had a temple or a place, we would probably have some sort of storeroom where we would keep the wealth of God's people. If you owned a home, um, you probably um, would have some sort of special box where you, maybe it was your hope chest, uh, some sort of box that you have created, and that's where you would have kept your most prized possessions, your most valuable things you would have kept inside of that storehouse or inside of that room. And we have all heard stories of our grandparents and great-grandparents who um, didn't trust the banks, like many of us maybe excessively do today and and they would you would go into their homes and inside their underwear drawer there would be thousands and thousands of dollars or even granny who didn't smoke cigarettes and thought you went to hell if you did had a cigar box full of ones tucked up under her bed somewhere or people's houses as they're being demolished um, treasure hunters and archaeologists and just construction workers have found thousands of dollars in the walls of people's houses It's a very similar concept because you didn't want to lose it. You trusted yourself. You put that money away. See, we store what is valuable to us. And value is a very subjective thing, isn't it? We like to see our money multiply, our collections multiply. 
We have a firm grip on our, our treasure. And if you're like me, a nerd, local nerd, thank you, congratulations, thank you for being here, appreciate that, is in the Lord of the Rings, there's no greater probably example than Gollum and the Ring. Whoever is in possession of the ring, it is the most precious thing that you can want. You can be in a room, in a castle, filled with treasure. But if you have the ring, it is to the holder the most valuable thing that they can have. And many of us are like Gollum. We're being completely controlled in our time, talent, and treasure as we hold on to these things that we consider to be of great value. However, Jesus commands his citizens what? The citizens of his kingdom not to store up, not to hoard, not to keep lots of money and possessions. This is not thus saith Eric. This is thus saith God. Do not store up these treasures. Do not have an overabundance of collections. Do not have an exorbitant amount of money that you are just sitting on. Jesus specifically points out to two specific possessions, doesn't he? He talks about clothes and precious metals. He continues to illustrate this by saying what? That these two possessions are easily and quickly lost, aren't they? He uses the illustration of moths. What do moths do? They eat your sweaters. What do rats do? They eat your clothes. They make nests out of your finest clothes. What else happens? Rust destroys precious metals. He even talks about thieves that can break in and steal everything that we have. So Jesus is warning. He is commanding followers of Jesus, citizens of heaven, that as he has given us, when we view these things as God, we need to understand that they can quickly be eaten, they can quickly rust, and they can quickly be stolen and taken away from us. Nothing is safe. The money that you put into that bank, it is not safe. The money that you put behind a padlock, it is not safe. We're talking in a time where there were no video cameras, there were no mousetraps, no rust-proof paints, no AAA security system. Whatever you could have in this season and moment of people's time, it could be taken from you at any moment. And there are a few things more frustrating than when you buy something brand new and break it before you get it home, isn't it? Or you put on a new blouse, ladies. Do you still call it a blouse? You put on a shirt, and you wear it for the first time, and you go eat marinara, and it gets all over your new shirt, and you ruin it, right? Um, when I grew up in a child, uh, a teenager in the 90s, and in the 90s, um, it wasn't as much about your car as it was about the system you had in your car. You wanted, ev I'm glad we've gotten over this, but you wanted everybody to know that you were coming long before you ever got there, right? And so one year for Christmas, my dad bought me this really nice radio system, and I got some Kenwood speakers, if you know what those are, built-in tweeters. Um, I just aged myself. <laughs> but... Um, 
I put this sound system into my car. My cousin helped me hook it all up, and we were having a family get-together. There were cars all over my parents' house, and we come out the next morning. I go to get into my car, and my car had been broken into, and it had been ripped out of the dash. None of the other cars were touched, but mine was gone. I mean, it's like, I hate, or we'll say things like, man, I, I hate people who hit their mama, who abuse kids, and a thief right? We can't stand the idea of having something of valuable to us and having it taken away from us. Each of us have earthly possessions that we hold of great value. Those things could be your clothes. It could be your house. It could be a collection of baseball cards, of stamps, of weird collectibles, antiques, electronics, or cash. Yesterday, my wife was talking to a lady who her husband had died. He was a, a we should be memorial it's what Memorial Day is for, people who died in battle, right? We celebrate them. We thank God for them. But her husband had lost his legs in some sort of uh, really bad uh, cancer, but he was a vet and these sorts of things, and he died uh, like a year and a year and a half ago. And my wife was talking to her yesterday because this man has thousands upon thousands of model cars in his house, in their house. And she doesn't know what to do with them. And you know what? The man never put one of them together. He just collected the cars. Their garage lifted up full of models that he never put together. He even had multiples in a, in a, in a way of categorizing them to let him know if he had more than one of that very car that he was never going to put together. But what did that man do? He held, I think that sounds ridiculous. Anybody else? I mean, what you collect, I think sounds really dumb. But if I hold something, I collect green Vaseline glass. Is that not weird? All right? It's dumb. All right, if you need me to explain to you why, I can't after. I don't have time right now. But um, I, it, it is so weird. When as a kid, I grew, I, I, I spent thousands probably when it was all said and done on baseball cards and basketball cards. I loved those things. I collected those things and I sold them in a yard sale, all of them for 40 bucks last year. Because they're not worth 40 bucks. What we hold of great value means something to me, even if it sounds dumb to you. If you've ever seen the show Hoarders, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I bet Hoarders does not play, place anywhere else in the world except for in America. Each of us, when we hold these things um, to value for us, usually um, if you are viewing, brothers and sisters, money as God... Um, then typically it has a way of playing out in each of us in three primary ways. Now, if I was to come up to you and say right now, do you think that money is your God? I guarantee you, most of us in this room are going to say no. Well, let's see. For a lot of us, materialism and money plays out in these three major ways. The first one is, is we see money and materialism as a way of security. Typically, this is found in people who are consumed with saving investing, and obsessed with the amount of money that is in their savings account. Anybody check their account like multiple times throughout the day? God is not opposed to a savings account. I want you to know that. 
Yet, it's encouraged, however, that many people become so consumed with saving and investing money that they become Scrooge. They become greedy. Why? Because their security is found in the belief that, that if they accumulate enough, that the bottom line is enough, if they have enough stored, then they will not have any worries. See, dependence for these people is not on God. It's on their bank account. God is not opposed to a savings account, brothers and sisters, but he is opposed probably on how much you have in it. I always have issues with churches, not that they take in a lot of money, but when I know of churches who have millions of dollars sitting in the bank, there's an issue. See, I think a lot of our grandparents really struggle with this type of money. This is how they made God or money their God. How many of you guys know old people who were always complaining about not having any money, but yet they had thousands of dollars in the bank? I read a story in my research this week of a, of a lady um, who was a hoarder. And um, to the point where her house was falling down, it was a, a terrible place to live, um, she began to starve. She got down to 50 pounds. She asked her neighbors for food. She starved herself to death. When they cleaned out her house, they found millions of dollars. But she believed she had nothing. So that's where a lot of people are. How many of you freaked out around 2007 when the recession took place and you laughed, lost half of your 401k? Why? Because your security, your future, is based in what you have in those things, not in God. Confessionally this morning, if, if I was to look at one of these three things, brothers and sisters, this is the one that I struggle with the most. This is where I see money and materialism as a God mostly for me is in the anxiety that is caused because there isn't that large sum of money there. Or the, the security that is lacking if um, something was to, you know, both of our cars were to break down this week, what would you do? What would I do? Those are the questions I've been asking myself this week. And it causes anxiety. Why? Because my security is not found in God, not in depending on God, but is, is found in resting in whatever that bottom line is. The second way that it comes out is in spending addiction. Consumerism. Buying items that you don't really need. Hoarding or having excess, buying with lust-filled eyes, buying with emotions, the amount of debt that you have. Um, there is research that supports that those who are addicted to spending and shopping are equivalent to those who are addicted to drugs and alcohol. I read this quote, the most extreme compulsive spenders tend to high or lie about their purchases. They max out more or one credit card and worry obsessively about money. It's not uncommon for them to accumulate items that never get used or worn. Items that, that still often still have the price tags even attached to them, and yet they live in a constant state of crisis over their finances. Money materialism is God. In these people. Let me ask you some questions. Do you ever have this sense of euphoria when you spend money? Do you ever find yourself spending more than you can afford? 
Do you ever find yourself spending unusual amounts of time and or money buying on the internet in catalogs or shopping channels? Do you ever find yourself frequently spending time shopping that could be spent with family, friends, or on work? Do you ever feel guilty, ashamed, or embarrassed or confused after shopping or spending? Do you ever hide purchases and receipts and lying about those purchases? Do you ever feel lost without a credit card or a checkbook? Do you ever feel on edge, agitated, or irritable when you have not been able to shop? Do you ever get emotional when you miss a sale? Do you ever get lost when, when someone else is able to purchase something that you wish that, I mean, Facebook has made this extremely encouraging because of all of these for sale sites that are on there where you're constantly, and you've got to get it before somebody else. Have you ever shopped on Black Friday? See, the thing is, a sale for many people is like throwing chum into the ocean and watching the great whites and their eyes roll back in the back of their head as they chomp, fight, cuss out, do whatever to get this stuff. They've got to have it. This is a way that materialism and money shows out in people. Overspending. Spending addiction. The third way that it comes out in us is this, is status. Is status. Man, we've got to live in this house. We've got to live in this neighborhood. I've got to wear these clothes. I've got to have this hair. I've got to have this body. I've got to have this car. I've got to wear certain clothes because we want to be noticed. I'm going to put pictures of my food and my new cars and my houses and my jobs and my vacations on Facebook. I am tired of seeing people's kneecaps at the beach. Why do you do that? Why do we do that? Why do we do that? If you're on vacation, good. That's a gracious thing. But why are you showing us? Ultimately, it's because of status. And also, we don't recognize that when we do those sorts of things, it it can lead our brothers and sisters to sin. It can cause covetedness within us. It can cause us to be jealous as, as we're looking upon these, this dream book, the Sears and Roebuck catalog that is Facebook now, that is constantly telling us through social media that we need these things, that we've got to have these things, that and you've got to ride around by yourself at night through the city talking to yourself as you drive this vehicle. I know this, man. I'm a recovering addict from this one. You did not go to Franklin Simpson High School and not wear cool clothes. They'd make your life miserable. I was the kid that, that, you know, I still do this, ironed his jeans in high school. I was the kid that every day went to high school with creases running down my sleeves from where I heavy starched them, okay? I went tucked in hair combed and if you rub my froey hair when I had it I was ticked because it was going to mess with my status the car that you drove the jeans that you wore I mean you had when I was a kid you better have a triangle on the back that said guess 
Guess what? How much I pay for these. I worked in retail at the time selling clothes. I would go to high school wearing like $80 shirts. Why? Because I, they could make fun of me because I was goofy and lanky and really skinny and couldn't play sports. But they were not going to make fun of me because I didn't have on cool clothes. It was about status. This is one of the major ways that materialism and money plays out as we gravitate toward money and materialism as our God. Like people who struggle with drug addiction, pornography, um, the more we worship money and materialism, the hungrier it gets. The more you feed that beast, the more you've got to have. The, the more status we get, brothers and sisters, from this God in our lives, the, the more we've got to do to create that. My sister and I, my daddy had a beat-up GMC 68 with a gear stiff in the column. You remember those? It was a rust bucket. We refused for him to drop us off in front of the school because it was going to mess with our status. And it was going to mess with us. And once you create that, you've got to feed that beast. You've got to feed that monster. How many young couples fall into this trap? They get an apartment, then they get a little bit bigger house, then they get a little bit bigger house, and you've got to get a little bit bigger house, a little bit bigger house, a little bit bigger house. And before you know it, you've got all this space, and then your kids leave, and the house is empty. But you've got a mansion. Why? Because we feel this. We've got to continue to feed the status. Here's the reason why most of us will not move over next to Hope House on 10th Street. If we really cared about those people, and you can disagree with me and rebuke me later, but if we really cared about those people, a lot more of us would move there. Why? I don't want to tell people I live on 10th Street. It's unsafe for my kids, right? I think that Jesus is, is getting at something that is, is so difficult for us. You know, no wonder Jesus spoke about money so much. Upwards of 25% of what Jesus spoke about in the New Testament was about money. Let me put this into perspective. Imagine once a month I preached on money. You'd stop coming. That's one of the major complaints about people who aren't involved in Jesus or in the church, right? Is that all we do is we talk about money. All the preacher wants is your money. All the church talks about is your money, 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 money. When money and material possessions become God, what reveals is that instead of placing value and security in God, we exchange the truth for a lie. We place ultimate value in those things instead of God. We, we attempt to find our safety and security in our treasure instead of God himself. Brothers and sisters, these possessions are corruptible. They cannot and will not ultimately provide security. They ultimately cannot satisfy. And your status is not lasting. God, on the other hand, has wanted us to have these things. Money in and of itself isn't evil. 
It is the love of money that is evil. It is being controlled by money that is evil. God has actually given us money and these possessions in our homes or at our houses themselves or these vehicles. He's actually given them to us as a gift. Again, a point of clarification, Jesus is not against having these things. He is against you making them, me making them my God. In Scripture, we see people own property. We see people have food. Amen? We, we see people wearing clothing. That's a great thing. We even see some people that are wealthy. The issue is that when these terms, these items that we possess control us, when we are addicted to purchasing and saving on of these items, when we cannot be generous because we need to buy something for ourselves, when we are in debt or simply want to save our money, when we do this, we view them as God instead of Him as God. And yet, God has given us these things as a gift. See, we like to compartmentalize our money, right? This percentage goes to God, and this percentage is mine. This is wrong. Everything we have in our bank account to the sock drawer we have. Every dime, every penny, every article of clothing that you have, every house... Everything is God's. Let's do a case study real quick. Let's say this week that you were to, not tomorrow because it's Memorial Day, but Tuesday you were to show up to work and your employer was to tell you, hey, we're about to give you a raise. Okay? I just happened to show up to finance team a few weeks. Hey, we're going to give you a raise. Let's say it's a big one. It's a big raise. Or you get a new job. And, and what's one of the reasons why you change citizens' jobs? It's so you can get what? More money. I don't know about you, but my initial thoughts when I think about getting a raise is what? How I'm already going to spend that money that they haven't given me yet. Right? We, we like to say things like, man, if I get some more money or I don't want to decrease the standard or the quality of living that we and my wife have created. Don't we use those sorts of terms? Like, I don't want that to decrease. I want that to increase. I want to, to constantly be doing those things. And yet, one of the issues that is taking place with us is if right now, if we're struggling, if somebody was to say, man, I'm going to give you a $10,000 raise, we automatically begin thinking of all the things that we are going to be able to purchase or to do if we were to get that money. And yet, I don't think that's why God gives it to you and me. I don't think that's the purpose in the race. See, they're not God. Your money and possessions are not God. They are a gift. A gift that we should enjoy. A gift that we should find pleasure in. And most importantly, that we should worship God through them. As Job stated, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. Job 1.21 Here's the deal, what Jesus is saying. You cannot take any of that with you. So how much dumber is my collection of green glass? I don't even eat out of it. I don't even, I have a butter dish. 
What's a 37-year-old man doing with a green butter dish that he's never going to put butter in? And if I found out that you put butter in it, I would be ticked. Because it's my green glass. And Jesus is saying, all of this stuff, that house that you have worked so hard to get, you can't take it with you. It does not compare to the mansion that Jesus is now building. And if Jesus is a carpenter, if he is a creator, the house of which God is preparing for us through Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit is much greater than any house in Old Stone. It is much greater than any house next to the lake. And I believe that's where we're, I'm living. <laughs> like if I can stay claim in heaven, water is nearby. All of these things, that car, that jacked-up Jeep Wrangler XL, you can't take it with you. You can't take the clothes. Think of all the things that you used to wear that are, you would not be caught dead in now. Why? Because they fade. Styles are constantly changing. You can't take that money. You can't take those possessions. You can't take whatever you and I are hoarding. We cannot take them to heaven. They can rot. They can be stolen. They can lose value. They can break. They can be burned. They can be sold in a yard sale or given to Hope House and then resold. At some point, all the things that they sell at Hope House were of value to somebody. Now they're being sold again. So God has a greater purpose for these gifts. I believe it has more to do with our sanctification, our worship, our contentment, and the advancement of the kingdom of God than it does being about what we can get. What does he tell us here in verse 20? But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, whether neither moss nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus, brothers and sisters, wants us to use money and possessions to invest in eternal things. He's talking about Benjamins, like dollar bills, earthly money and possessions he is wanting us not to store them up but he is wanting us to invest them into heaven into the eternal mission of god we give sacrificially and generously to the kingdom of god and so you say brothers how do you do this this is accomplished through giving to the church to missions and to the poor that's the way you do it. Yet let's be really honest, you'll find a lot of people not giving to their local church. You'll find a lot of people not giving to missions. You'll find a lot of people who claim to be followers of Jesus, who claim to be intimate with Jesus, and yet money and materialism is their God. They're greedy with those things, and yet they hold on to those things, and they will, they will, they will use their lack of, of stewardship of those things to deny the church, missions, and the poor. This is not the will of God. But you know, uh, from one of the statistics that I read this week is that only 5% of the United States Christians give to their church. 5%. Out of that 5%, 80% of those people, 80% give less than 2%. So let's take it for a moment. I've got 10 $1 bills here. 
And let's say that this is your pay. And I work in tens because I can, I'm terrible with numbers, but I can do it with tens or ten ones. All right? So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ten, right? And for some reason, the American church, most of us, have adopted an Old Testament 10% tithe principle that we do not see in the New Testament. And if we really want to study it from the Old Testament, it wasn't 10%. It was 25%. Which is this 30. I got it, teachers, all right? I saw some cuss words and emails coming. I was like, I got it, all right? From the Old Testament, once you gave to the the temple, but also for the feast and all these sorts of things, it came up to be about 25% of your income. And yet, we, we, I love shrimp. I eat it. I love me some catfish, all right? Even if I go to Harper's, I make sure I shower once I leave. But that food while I'm eating is real good. That's in the Old Testament, too. All right, there are people in this room, Justin, whose body is covered in pictures that he will never be able to get rid of. And yet, and there's some of you other ones too, all right? That's in the Old Testament too, right? And people like to say, the Bible says you can't get tattoos. Well, they're totally taking a piece of Scripture out of context. But that's, that's there too. But when we get to the New Testament, people are like, Tithe, tithe, tithe. And yet, when you look at statistically, the American church isn't even tithing. We're not even doing this. If anything, some of us are doing this. And you like to make origami out of your money and then put it in the offer bag. See, some of you are flipping out because I just cut a dollar. Shows you where your God is, Weasbins. Yes, you just got called out. I've been to Haiti Church. They call out people, all right, don't they? <laughs> I mean, we're, we're, you need to understand this, this principle. And, and so some of us are like, man, if you do give, you're like, man, I got to get my 10%. Now, is that after taxes or before taxes? Where does that fall in? Man, I just gotta, I gotta make sure I, I'm, I'm getting this 10% thing. And yet this is not the call of the gospel. It is not the call of Jesus. Jesus is calling his, command, his followers to invest in the things not of this world, but to invest in eternity, to invest in people, the church, missions that will not fade. It will not rot. It will not be left on this earth. It will be taken into eternity. These investments with our money and possessions are incorruptible. They are safe. They are secure. They're in the storehouses of heaven heaven, which reflects the dependency and and our pleasure that is found not in those things, not in the clothes that I wear, the car that I drive, but is found only in Jesus. Unlike these material things that can easily be destroyed, what we give to the kingdom of God will last 
forever. So he's saying, take these earthly things, invest them into your church, into missions, and into the poor, and we will see the ramifications and that investment unfold to its fullness where? In the kingdom of God, in heaven. That's what we're supposed to be investing in. Verse 21 says this, for where your treasure is, what? There your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, the way we think and feel and act about money puts our heart's treasure on display. Pastor John Piper said that. The way that you think, feel, and act about money, the way that I think, feel, and act about money, the anxiety I have about not having thousands of dollars in the bank account, the anxiety I have about raising a little boy with special needs and worrying about what's going to happen in the future with that. Pastor Justin's going to hit on those things actually next week. But the way that we think about it, the way that we express it, the way that we live it, the things that we purchase put yours and my heart on display. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Brothers and sisters, where is your treasure? Where are you investing? Where are you placing this? How we think and spend money reveals that it is either our God or it is a gift from God. I've become very concerned personally, corporately, this week. When I hear statements coming from people that say this, I do sinful things. But since my heart wants to be better, it's okay. Brothers and sisters, your actions always follow what you really believe. Your actions always follow what you really believe. When you scale back all the layers... What you believe, what is in your heart, always comes out in actions. And if, so if you're seeing actions that look more like sin, Satan, and death, I want you to know that there's a deep, 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 desperate issue that is taking place within our hearts. The desires of our hearts always produce action. It is not the other way around. So many people think, well, if I do this, then eventually my heart will catch up. That is not the Bible. And yet we have made it the gospel. Just do it and eventually your heart will. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you take a man's heart and rip it in half and place heart over here and part over here, guess what that man is? He is dead. He's dead. And yet so many of us, we're trying to compartmentalize and say, you know, I, 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 I got treasure over here. I, I've got all of these things over here. And yet I love Jesus and, and, and I don't give to the church. And, and I, let me clarify in case you're new here. I have no idea who gives here and who doesn't. I see a line number at the end. So I have no idea. 
And the thing is, you don't know if I do or not. What is in us produces, and yet so many people say they love Jesus, and yet if they're not giving to the church, they're not giving to missions, they're not giving to the poor. Brothers and sisters, we must not fall into the deception that our hearts can be right and our practice be disobedient. A changed heart always produces good fruit. It always does. Brothers and sisters, is it possible that the content of our closets reveals more about the contents of our hearts than anything else? The size of our homes and the, the things that we constantly have to, to, to put, put into these things. And again, that, that is not to, you can, you can be worshiping money as your God and be a homeless person or a billionaire. It should be proportional to however God has graciously given you. But I want you to understand this thing. If it is to reveal, if our bank accounts... If our, if our spending, if we could watch each other spend, what would it reveal about our hearts? Some of you right now are saying this, but I don't have a problem. I don't worship money. I don't worship material possessions. I don't worship stuff. I don't find security and significance in my clothes, houses, and boats. So thankful that Jesus knows the depths of our hearts. What does he say there in verse 22? This is where it gets kind of odd for us if we don't pay attention. Jesus says this, The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Jesus, knowing the hearts of his followers, connects this pursuit of money and possessions to our eyes. A lot of times throughout Scripture, the eye is often connected to the heart. Um, what does a lamp do? A lamp lights up a room. It's dark room. You turn on the lamp, there is now light in the room, allowing people to see. When, when, when there is no light in the room, then it is completely dark. Jesus is talking about here the reality that there is a greater blindness than physical blindness. It is a spiritual blindness. It is the fact that if we are spiritually blind, that, does, that means if we turn on all the lights in the cafeteria this morning, but I'm spiritually blind, or even if I was physically blind, I, even though the lights would be on all around me, because I am blind, I would not be able to see them. I would still only see what? Darkness. And Jesus speaking into this truth is saying this. There is light all around you, but you are spiritually blind to the point where you do not see your own greed and your own desire to worship money and possessions. That it is almost literally impossible for many of us beyond the grace and mercy of God pouring himself into us that though others can see us being greedy and materialistic and money hungry, we cannot see it and we do not believe it ourselves. And so when we're spiritually blind, all we see is darkness. So, I, of course, we're sitting there, as I was, thinking about all the people that I know that 
worship money and possessions as their God. Until it became very clear that though mine is not in spending, I worship God through the anxiety of saving or not having enough. Tim Keller once said this, as a pastor, he said, I've had a lot of people come to me and confess a lot of sins. And I can relate to that. I mean, I have heard a lot of things from a lot of people. Some things I wish I could like, scratch out of my mind, like, get that out. Okay? But I've never had any church member, anybody come to me and say, Pastor, I need to sit down with you. I need to confess some things. I need some accountability. And then sit down and say, I love money. Or I'm greedy. Or I'm materialistic. See, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus speaks so much about money and addresses it here in this way because he knows of the real struggle. And he knows that the struggle is, is that probably more than any other sin, we, especially as Americans who have built a society on consumerism and capitalism, that we would be most blind to this sin than any of the other ones. See, you know when you're committing adultery. You wake up the next morning, oh, you're not my wife. You know that. If you're looking at a picture of somebody that's not your wife, guess what? You know it. You know that. Pretty much we know when we lie, don't we? But we've become so blinded, we don't even know that we're greedy. Brothers and sisters, I would contend, as I shared with Pastor Justin earlier this morning, I would contend for us as American church, mission church, as people that make up this body of believers, and, but across the, the nation, that this is the largest issue within Christendom, within our country, is the belief and the worship of money and materialism, and yet the belief and the deception that lies within us that it is not me. So we have a tendency to believe that this is only of the wealthy. Only the wealthy can be greedy, and that is a lie. We're deceived when we begin to think those ways or when we begin to think that this is not an issue for us. We justified this sin more than any others. We, we, this, this sin struggle of money and materialism is extremely seductive. How many of you guys believe that accountability is a good thing? Don't you think it's, uh, it's important for people to be accountable at their job? Don't you think it's important for the government to be accountable? Wouldn't we like to see more of that? How many of you think that the church should be accountable? Man, nothing causes more conflict in the workplace, in your home, or at church than the misuse of funds. How many people lose their job because they've embezzled money? How many people change their job because they want more money? How many marriages are broken? The number two causes of se uh, you know, sex, and marriage, uh, sex and money are the lead to causing reasons for divorce. How many people leave churches because they don't agree with how the church is spending the offerings? 
Accountability is a good thing. Many of us have had accountability partners. We talk about all different sorts of things. This is a good thing. It is a healthy thing. I would even say it's a gift from God. But let me ask you this morning, who, what brother or sister in this room is keeping you and your family accountable in what you spend? Who outside, if you're married in this room, who outside of your marriage has access to your account information? See, right now we're all flipping out. What you talking about? What do you mean? I mean exactly that. Why is it okay for us to be accountable to each other? And we should be in all of these other areas. But when it comes to money, we automatically begin to to shut off. Why can we press into each other on so many issues? But when we begin to discuss how much money we get paid, how much debt we are in, and how much spending of money that we are into, then it's none of your business. Why is talking about money so uncomfortable? Why do so many people say that they don't have anything to do with the church because all they want is your money? Why? Because we love, trust, and obey our money and possessions. As a pastor, I know about more about what is happening in people's bedrooms than I do in their bank accounts. Why is it okay for me to know about one? Or somebody, it doesn't have to be me, because I'm, I'm not an accountant. But there should be a Christian brother and sister somewhere. It is their business. It is. It's not all of ours business. But it's somebody else's. If you want to be above reproach, if I want to be above reproach, Even this week, I began thinking about some people. I I do not have this. But as I begin to wrestle through this, as I'm just in deep grieving this morning at the realization of many of these things are not true in my life, is, is already coming up with a name. One of the great things about the Acts 29 network is part of the assessment for us to become part of the Acts 29 network is Laura and I had divulged all of our information, finances included. You know that was the hardest questions to fill out? Because my initial thought is, it's none of their business. Because God, money is my God. The more we are controlled by how much or how little money we have, the more blind we become. Sometime this week, brothers and sisters, I want you to go to a person that you respect or even as a married couple and sit down and talk about your finances and ask this question, do you think I'm greedy? Are we greedy as a family? He tells us here in verse 24, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, 
or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Brothers and sisters, everyone's heart is mastered by something. If God is what you hold in the place of greatest value over your money and possessions, then they will lose their power, control, and bondage. Money materialism is one of the most, if not the most dominant, counterfeit God in our lives. A quote by Tim Keller, many is the one of the most common counterfeit gods there is. When it takes hold of your heart, it binds you to what is happening. It controls you through anxieties and lust, and it brings you to put ahead it ahead of other things. Brothers and sisters, who do we serve? I think the 10% tithe is a launch pad, not a landing pad. For New Testament Christians, if we were to look at what we see in the scope in a survey of the New Testament, the giving that Jesus has called us to is, is not merely taking a 10% top, but it's figuring out how do we give a majority of this away? How do you give a majority of it away? And if we can't, and if we really look at it, it's because we've created the sin of debt in our lives. We're getting more home than we need, or more vehicles than we need, or a bigger collection of things that we really don't need. And so we take care of all of that, and if there's a little bit of something left, then every so often, I'm going to give Jesus something. The calling of the gospel, the calling of the gospel through Jesus, what he is pointing us to is to be a generous people. That it is a sacrificial gift. If you make a million dollars and you only give 10%, guess what? That is not sacrificial. Even if it's $100,000. That's not sacrificial giving. Paul will allude in the book of Corinthians that we are to, to give, and this is paraphrased, but, but our physical giving of dollar bills to the church should be in reflection of the grace and the mercy that we have received. Jesus did not give a tenth of blood upon the cross. He gave it all. This is the general principle. Not, again, that we should send all of our families into living into poverty. That's not what Jesus is calling us to either. But our, the general principle is that we should be sacrificially giving more and more and more and figuring out how to give more and more and more. And that when, when we get to a certain point that even if we make more money that we agree as a family that we're going to live at this standard and everything that we give on top of that and that we work we're giving, we're going to give it even more to the sake of the kingdom of God. Rest not, create not treasures on this earth, but store up treasures in heaven. This is the one the way that you will never be called to call to the cross and to die. And yet God is calling us to go to our wallets and to die. Who do you serve? Who do I serve. If I was to go to your bank account, if you were to look at my bank account, would 
what would you see? Would you see sacrifice for the kingdom? Or would you see the hoarding of stuff? What do you need with any more coats? What do I need with any more coats? You've, n- You've never seen me wear more than one at a time. You can only wear one pair of shoes at a time. Yet I have them for matching outfits, and I'm a dude. How much house? How many cars? And most importantly, how is those things keeping us from investing in eternity? I think that there's so much more for us to learn here as a church. My temptation, because we only preach through these things whenever we come to them in the text, is I want to, I want to, I want to be able to unload upon you all the things that, that I've been learning. As difficult as they've been, this week has been like a funeral to me. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, it says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that by His poverty we might become rich. Jesus lost all of His treasure to make you His treasure. He lost all of His treasure to make His children His treasure. Whom do you serve? Here's my fear in this sermon. And anytime I preach, is that only by God's grace, there will be some people awaken to this truth. And there's going to be a large portion of people that I call are going to be blurry listeners. You're going to walk away from here and you're going to go, man, that, that was tough. We need to make some changes. And that's going to last about a week. And then we're going to continue to walk in blindness. Or blurriness. And still even more, there are going to be people that remain blind. You're going to take these things that have been shared today and that you're going to believe that they are not about you. And that you're going to justify them. And I'm going to justify them. I say this to you with the utmost love for you as one of your pastors. But brothers and sisters, we are greedy. May we repent. May we turn to Jesus. May He be our true and greater treasure.
And may we, as a people of God, though few may be in number, may we be generous with investing in the kingdom of God. The church should never want for anything that is really God's mission. We shouldn't. You know what? The rest of the world sees this. So my prayer today is that we, through God's grace and His mercy, will see Him as ultimate. We'll see Him as supreme. See Him as God above our stuff. Let's pray. Lord, thank You. Though we are prone to...